With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Now, the greatest radio shows of all time. Suspense. The Shadow Node. Washington calling David Harding, counter-spy. Classic radio theater. The Great Gildersleeve. Fibber McGee and Molly. Dragnet. Gunsmoke. The Lone Ranger. Now, step back into our time machine with your host, Wyatt Cox. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. A mutual summer program from 76 years ago, June 30th, 1947, did Justice Triumph Death Watch. And we thank you for tuning in on this final Friday edition of Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. And of course, this is the 30th day of June, the last day of the month, 181st day of the year, 184 days remaining. French acrobat Charles Blondin, Jean-Francois Gravier, walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope on this date in 1859. 1908, a powerful natural explosion from an unknown cause rocked the Tungusa Basin in eastern Siberia, flattening hundreds of square miles of forest and resulting in tremors that could be felt hundreds of miles away. 1921, President Warren Harding appointed former President William Howard Taft Chief Justice of the United States. 1934, Adolf Hitler secured his position in the Nazi Party by a blood purge, ridding the party of other leaders such as Ernest Röhm and Kurt von Schlechter. In 1936, Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind was published. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Considered unsavorly and savory and modestly foul at the time, well, definitely foul at the time today, we don't uh, think of it the same way. But uh, it was a powerful book, Gone with the Wind, published on this date in 1936. In 1950, President Truman ordered U.S. ground forces into the Korean conflict. 1953, the first production Corvette built at the General Motors facility in Flint, Michigan. They call her Corvette, and she belongs to the highway, just for the sheer and simple joy of driving, for the open road and the country byway, for Mr. and Mrs. America in a carefree mood. Boy, 
my car. A 1954 Corvette commercial, a portion of it, uh, voiced by NBC Today Show host Dave Garraway. The 26th Amendment of the Constitution, which lowered the voting age uh, to 18, was ratified by the states on this date in 1971. Some 11 million young men and women who have participated in the life of our nation through their work, their studies, and their sacrifices for its defense are now to be fully included in the electoral process. For more than 20 years, I have advocated the 18-year-old vote. I heartily congratulate our young citizens on having gained this right. President Nixon congratulating the newly enfranchised voters. Uh, In 1985, President Reagan announced the release of American hostages from Lebanon. The 39 Americans held hostage for 17 days by terrorists in Lebanon are free, safe, and at this moment, on their way to Frankfurt, Germany. They'll be home again soon. The president added the U.S. would fight back against terrorists for attacks on American citizens and property. Nineteen firefighters died controlling a wildfire in Yarnell, Arizona in 2013. And uh, President Donald Trump became the first sitting U.S. president to visit the Democratic People's Republic of Korea on this date in 2019. Among those passing away on this date in history, Lee DeForest, the inventor of the Tweaky, James DeWar, Spanky McFarlane from the R Gang comedies, actor Gail Gordon, such a delightful man, uh, Chet Atkins, wonderful guitar player, and Buddy Hackett, a very funny, funny man. A couple of pro wrestlers pa- uh, born on this date in history, in fact, both in 1891, Man Mountain Dean and Ed Strangler Lewis. Actress Susan Hayward born on this date, as was Lena Horne. Uh, magician Harry Blackstone Jr. and Florence Ballard of the Supremes. Turning 87 today is Nancy Dussault, uh, Ted Knight's wife in the Too Close for Comfort TV show. Pro wrestler Terry Funk, 79 years old, suffering for a lot of his uh, uh, craziness in the ring these days, but he is still with us. Uh, Steve Rhodes on Married with Children, David Garrison, 71 today. From In Living Color and Jumanji, David Allen Greer, 67. From Men in Black and Full Metal Jacket, Vincent Dionofrio, 64. Mike Tyson's 57 today and in amazing shape. Uh, Patch Adams saw head over heels actress Monica Potter, 52. Uh, pro wrestler, former EVP for AEW, now in the WWE, Cody Runnels Rhodes. Uh, Dusty Rhodes' son, uh, Cody Rhodes, 38 today. And uh, Alicia Fox is 37 today. Those just a few of the people celebrating the last day of June as their birthday. If this is your birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Alrighty, from 76 years ago today, June 30th, 1947, did justice triumph on this final classic radio theater with Wyatt Cox on your favorite station. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, it's Friday, and our final edition of Classic Radio Theater, as we've been telling you about for a couple of weeks. Uh, let's start off this first hour with The Justice Triumph, a mutual program, June 30th, 1947. It's entitled Death Watch. Justice Triumphs. Police Headquarters, Phoenix, Arizona. Name, Joseph Cornell. Age, 79 years. Cause of death? Bullet through heart. Classification? Murder. Investigation? Proceeding. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents another thrilling case based on the true justice stories followed by millions of readers each week in the New York Sunday News and its syndicate. Tonight's case, The Death Watch. Our story opens one afternoon at the railroad station in Phoenix, Arizona. As the five o'clock train pulls in, two men wearing dark blue suits and a prison pallor swing off the train to the platform, elbow their way through the small crowd at the station, cross the street, and push through the swinging doors of a saloon. Yeah, Dawson. Yes, George, behind the bar now. Yeah. <laughs> Watch his face when he spots us here in his place. <laughs> Look, we won't say nothing. We just stand here at the end of the bar and order a drink. Okay. Uh, hey, barkeep, set us up a couple of straight ones down here. Yes, sir. Care for a taser or... Well, if it isn't Dawson, then please. Hiya, George. Say, it's good to see you guys. Dawson, I see you still got that gold tooth in the front of your face. Yeah, but the boys in stir let me keep it. Uh, when would you get out? Yesterday. Huh? Yeah, and we headed straight for Phoenix. Well, I'm sure glad to see you. Uh, we're looking for white George. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. You got any ideas? Uh, well, uh, I don't know. Oh, we'd be glad to cut you in on anything you shoved our way. Oh, sure, sure, I know that. Uh, tell you what, boys, uh, let, let's sit over that back table there, huh? Okay, come on, Pete. Right. Uh, Jack, take over the bar for a while, will you? That's it. Go ahead, just, just sit down right there. Thanks, George. Uh, uh, well, George? Uh, 
Now, look, Dawson, you, you know I'm straight, legit. Oh, sure, George. We ain't asking you to get your hands dirty. Yeah, George, we're just uh, looking for a job. What do you say, George? Any ideas? Well, there's a little deal I happen to know about might interest you boys. Oh, let's hear it. Well, this is the setup. A guy named Jim Cornell owns a citrus farm right outside Phoenix here. Yeah? Now, his old man's got the adjoining farm, see? Old Mr. Cornell's retired. Go on. Now, I happen to know that old man Cornell's got about $4,000 in cash in his place. 4000 cash? Hey, that's okay. Let's grab it. Now, wait. It's not as easy as that, Alfie. Begin with, I know the money's hidden in the house someplace, but I don't know where. Uh, all we got to do is stick a gun in the old man's ribs. He'll shell out the dough quick enough. Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure, but there's just one hitch to that. Yeah, what is it? Uh, the old man and his wife aren't alone in the house very often. What do you mean? Well, there's always friends and relatives hanging around their place or staying there with them. Yeah, it looks like your tips are dud, George. We can't pull a stick up with half the county looking on. Now, now wait. I, I said there were people hanging around the place most of the time, but not all the time. You got some ideas? Yeah, I think so. Well, let's have them. Now, I happen to know that the son is looking for another hand on his place. I'll get you the job, Dawson. Me? Work as a hired hand? Dawson do real work? <laughs> That's a laugh. Well, well, why not? It won't be for long. And, and it'll give you a chance to get to know the family. You'll be in a spot where you can watch the old folks on their place and find out when they're going to be alone. Yeah. Yeah, I could do that. Uh, what do I do, George? Well, I'd say you better lay low here with me while Dawson sizes up the situation. Well, how's it strike you? It's okay. Okay, George. Yeah, swell idea. Yeah, 4,000 bucks and set Pete and me up right. Okay, George, fix it up for me. Sure, right away. The sooner I start work, the better. In a matter of hours, Harry Dawson, recently released from state's prison, is inducted into the routine of young Jim Cornell's flourishing fruit farm. In a matter of days, Dawson has ingratiated himself both with his employer and the old folks who live on the neighboring farm. He's quartered in a cabin in the fruit grove where he lives by himself. But all the time he's working, he watches and waits for the time when the elder Cornells will be alone. But the days slip into weeks, and always there are friends and relatives visiting at the popular old couple's home. Then, late one afternoon at the end of the month, as Dawson is cleaning up some tools in the shed, his employer stopped to speak to him. Well, Dawson. Uh, yes, Mr. Cornell. You know, I'm throwing a big barbecue supper down in the hollow this evening. Oh, sure, Mr. Cornell. You're going to come, aren't you? Help celebrate my daughter's 16th birthday? Oh, yeah, sure, I'll be there. Good. We're going to have quite a crowd. I've invited neighbors from all around. I just wish Mother and Dad could make it. Oh, they, uh, they won't be there? No. No, Dad's not feeling so good today, so he and Mother aren't coming to the party. Oh, that's too bad they can't make it. Uh, well, some of the relatives will stay to keep them company, I suppose, huh? Oh, not on your life. Everybody's coming to the barbecue, and that includes you, Dawson. Oh. So get your glad rags on and come along. Folks are already gathering at the hollow. Oh, thanks, Mr. Cornell. I'll be there. <laughs> Who is this? Pete Bronson. Pete, this is Dawson. Dawson, we ain't heard from you for a couple of weeks. Never mind. Listen to me, Pete. Yeah? This is it. Today. You mean the old folks... Hold it. Be careful what you say. Okay. I told you today's the day. We got a break. Now, you remember what you're supposed to do? Yeah, sure. I ain't forgotten. Okay, I'll meet you at the big tree like we planned. (laughs) 
Hi, Dawson. Sure took you long enough to get here. Move over. I'll take the wheel. Okay. It's got a bum shift. Be careful how you handle it. Okay. Where'd you rent it? One of the garages in town. See, how much farther up the road is this place? Yeah, about a mile. Now, listen, Pete. You sure you got everything straight? Sure. I go in and get the dough alone. And don't forget, after you get the dough, you tie them both up so they can't get to the window and yell for help. Yeah, I know. Uh, look, Dawson, wouldn't it be better to wait till after dark to do this? No, they're alone in there now. The gang will be coming back from the barbecue when it gets dark. We do it now when there's nobody here to bother us. Okay, I guess you're right. We'll keep the motor running for a fast getaway. Don't worry, I will. Then you can drop me off where you picked me up. <laughs> You know, I got a barbecue supper waiting for me. <laughs> well, here you are. Uh, the old Cornell place? Right. Okay. See you in a few minutes. With four thousand bucks. I'll let the car turn around, ready to get out of here fast. So long. So long, Pete. Come in. Get up. I'll see who it is. All right, my dear. Well, good evening, sir. You Mrs. Cornell? Yes. Tell your husband to come in here. <laughs> Mr. Cornell isn't feeling so good. Maybe if you'd stop Tell him I to could... come in here. I gotta see him. Well, if it's really important. Uh, Joseph? Yes? There's a young man in the living room. He wants to see you. All right, huh? I don't believe I've seen you around this part of the country, young man. No, you ain't. I thought everybody around here was at the barbecue. You weren't expecting company. I come for your money, Mr. Cornell. You what? You got 4,000 bucks in cash in this house. I want it. Jo Joseph, he's got a gun. Well, young man, Are you going to give me the door or do I have to get rough? Oh, give it to him, Joseph. Yes, yes, you, you can have it. Uh, only I, I don't have it here. It's in another part of the house. Hold it. I, I was just going to get it for you. Okay. But you don't go nowhere without I'm right behind you. Better mind what he says, Joseph. Uh, I'm waiting, young man. Now, Mrs. Cornell, you sit in that chair. Uh, uh, this one? Yeah, yeah, right there. <laughs> now I'll just tie this around you. Yeah. Oh, what are you doing to my wife? Just tying her up. Oh, no, no, please. Shut up. Please. Uh, uh, hold you. Open your mouth wide. What are you doing? Ah, that's a good girl. You take the being gag like a fish takes the water. You let my wife alone. Take that rag out of her mouth. Get back, Pop. I won't. You take Pipe that down, rag out Pop, of here. You'll get it too. I don't care what you do to me, but you're not going Shut to. Shut up! Help! Police! Help! Okay, Pete. Step on her, Dawson. Step on her. Did you get the dough, Pete? No. You didn't? You heard me. Why didn't you throw a scare into the old man with your gun? I did. I scared him too hard. You mean you... Yeah. I plugged him. Of all the stupid trigger-happy stir-crazy... Lay off, Dawson. You ain't got nothing to worry about. Nobody can connect you with it. No. I ain't so sure about that. What do you mean? While I was waiting for you, a car pulled up at the other side of the road. Guy got out to look at his rear tire. Somebody can open around here? No, you dope. If it had been, do you think I'd have stuck around? No, the guy had an out-of-state license on his car. Well, there. Everything's okay. Okay? I didn't see you bringing back any dough. It was a bum break. Yeah, I'll say. But so what? There's plenty of places to pull jobs. Yeah, maybe. 
Well, I'm getting out here. I've got to ease myself into that party down at the barbecue and act like I've been there all the time. Say, that's a smart idea. you got brains. I wish you had some. Huh? If we get out of this alive, it won't be your brains that did it. Now, in this reenactment of an actual crime, the killer Pete makes all haste back to town and to George's barn grill. Dawson hurries through the fruit grove and a few minutes later slips quietly into the crowd at the gala barbecue. Meantime, back at the scene of the crime, elderly Mrs. Cornell, though dazed at the sudden turn of events that has resulted in the tragic death of her husband, somehow manages to struggle free of her bonds and remove the gag from her mouth. She stumbles to the telephone. Police! Police! Get the police! And inside of ten minutes, a homicide squad from police headquarters in Phoenix, headed by Lieutenant Hayes, is on the scene. The wheels of justice begin to turn. A short time later, Lieutenant Hayes steps out of the room where he's been closeted with Mrs. Cornell and reaches for the telephone in the hall. Number please. Get me police headquarters. Police Department, Hanson speaking. Hanson, this is Lieutenant Hayes. I have a description of the killer I got from Mrs. Cornell. Take it down, will you? Yes, sir. Age about 35, height about six foot, complexion light, eyes blue, hair sandy. He was wearing a blue serge suit. I got it, Lieutenant. Send out a seven-state alarm on him, Hanson. Get in touch with the State Highway Patrol. Tell them to keep their eyes open for a man of that description. Oh, and Hanson. Yes, sir. Send the details over to the radio station. Ask him to broadcast that description every half hour. I'll get at it immediately. Thanks. Oh, Sergeant. Yes, Lieutenant. Has the coroner taken the body out yet? Yeah, he just drove away with it. Said to get the bullets extracted and down the ballistics tonight. Oh, good. The report should be on your desk within the next couple of hours, sir. Yeah. Well... Before I go back to town, Sergeant, we have a dirty job to do. Yeah? The sooner we get it over with, the quicker we'll run down the killer. Well, uh, what job's that, Lieutenant? We gotta go down and break in on that barbecue party in the hollow. Hey, that's right. Young Cornell doesn't know about his father yet. No. Well, come on, Sergeant. I sure hate to spoil their barbecue, but it's got to be done. Now, Sergeant... While I'm breaking the news to young Cornell, you take care of the crowd. Yeah. Send the women and children home. Organize the men into a posse. Right, Lieutenant. Have them search the orange groves all around here. There's just a chance that the killer may be hiding out in one of them. Well, we'll find him if he is. You can report back to me at headquarters. Okay. Oh, uh, Mr. Cornell. Wow, hello. I'm Lieutenant Hayes from police headquarters, Mr. Cornell. Sure, I know you. Glad you dropped in, Lieutenant. Always room for one more. I'm, um... I'm here on business, Mr. Cornell. Would you mind stepping over here a minute? Why, sure. Anything wrong? June 30th, 1947, Did Justice Triumph? You're listening to Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox, and coming up following this break, the news from this date in history. Just going to take a minute here to tell you about the big savings going on now, the Claret Sale at MyPillow.com. And you know, I've talked about how in my office, I have a pair of My Slippers, and they're really comfortable, and they're on clearance right now. The MyPillow.com slippers, $25 a pair, limit 10. And I would buy three or four more pairs. Unfortunately, they're out of my size. They also have sheets, pillowcases, clothing items, all on special right now. 
Go to MyPillow.com, click on the clearance tab at the top of the page, use my promo code Wyatt, or call 1-800-928-4715. Limited sizes remaining in the MyPillow slippers, limited colors on other items. MyPillow.com, clearance tab, promo code Wyatt, 1-800-928-4715. Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox, our final time here on your favorite radio station. We're listening to an episode of Mutual's Did Justice Triumph? As it was originally broadcast on Monday, June 30th, 1947, in the newspapers of that Monday. Going back uh, to just after World War II, 76 years ago, these were some of the headlines. Official French sources said yesterday three negotiators on the Marshall Plan for European recovery deadlocked completely and that Russia was following a procedure which might wreck the conference. The statement, long and angry, was a detailed analysis of the supposed super-secret French-British-Russian conference since its start Friday, and apparently it was inspired directly by the French Foreign Office. The American military government's new Zeitung said yesterday Soviet Marshal Lavren P. Beria was visiting the Russian occupation zone. Speculation was that he had come to help German communists combat increasing opposition among the people. The greatest Mississippi River flood in St. Louis's 100 years surged over sections of St. Louis and other river towns yesterday, and the Army began shuttling all available volunteers to weaken levees in a battle to save homes and farmland. Dr. Albert Einstein and the Emergency Committee of Atomic Scientists he had issued an appeal yesterday to the American people to realize that United Nations efforts for international control of atomic energy have been fruitless and that time is running short. (laughs) President Truman declared yesterday the federal government must take the lead in wiping out racial prejudice and discrimination at home to strengthen the hand of democracy abroad. Speaking to an outdoor audience of thousands at the Lincoln Memorial, the chief executive asserted every man should have the right to a decent home, the right to an education, the right to adequate medical care, the right to a worthwhile job, the right to an equal share in the making of public decisions through the ballot, and the right to a fair trial in a fair court. The progressive citizens of America, in a sharp departure from its policies of the past, yesterday adopted a new economic program calling for public ownership of the nation's coal, railroad, and electric power industries. The PCA's National Board of Directors, completing a two-day meeting in Chicago, said past efforts to break up or control concentrations of private economic power have failed. (laughs) Former Governor Alf Landon of Kansas arrived last night in Pauling, New York, to visit New York's chief executive, Thomas E. Dewey, at his Pauling farm. Universal International Pictures announced yesterday the purchase of movie rights to the Pulitzer Prize-winning play Harvey at a price set unofficially to be in excess of $1 million. The film company's announcement said rights were acquired to the comedy hit by Mary C. Chase of Denver at one of the highest prices ever paid for any property, topping any previous amount ever paid for any stage play or book. 
Though some of the day's top news stories has reported in the newspapers of June 30th, 1947. On your radio, uh, 76 years ago today, did Justice Triumph. The conclusion follows these messages on the final Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. All right, we wrap up this final hour of Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox, an episode, well, this final hour. It's our first of three. But this final hour of Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox with the conclusion of Did Justice Triumph, Death Watch, June 30th, 1947, 76 years ago today. Listen, everybody. Let me have your attention, please. I'm sorry, but we're going to have to interrupt your fun. The women and the children will have to leave. All hey. right, you men. Hey, what's going on here? Mr. Cornell, I have bad news for you. What? What's, what's the matter? I guess the kindest way is to tell you straight out. Your father's been killed. What? Dad? Killed? How? Oh. He was shot what? twice by an unknown assailant who entered his house. He was after that $4,000 your father kept there. Dad. Dead. What, what about my mother? She's all right now. Thank heaven for that. I'll, I'll go to her right away. Oh, uh, just a minute, Mr. Cornell. Yes? I know this is tough on you, but if you could answer a few questions before you leave, it'd be a great help to us. Oh, oh, all right. Now, can you tell me who else beside the immediate family knew about the money your father kept in the house? That's, that's hard to say. Dad may have mentioned it to any number of people. He trusted everybody. I may have even mentioned it myself. I always thought it was foolish of Dad to keep that much money around. You were right. Tell me, uh, who did you invite to this picnic today? My neighbors, my employees. Uh huh. Did everybody come who was invited? Yes, every single person, as far as I know. I see. None of them could have had anything to do with it. Maybe not, but I believe that the killer had an accomplice. And it's my hunch that someone who knows you and your family is mixed up in this. And that's what I want to find out. The following description of the killer has been given us by the police department. You are asked to be on the lookout for this man. He's about six feet Turn that thing off. Hey, that's my description of broadcast. Turn it off. Okay, okay. Listen. What's eating you? Keep that radio off. Customers down the bar will hear it. Get wise, there's somebody up here. Oh, okay, George. Another thing. When are you getting out of here? Hey, what's the matter with you? Look, I just want you to get out, Pete. Look, you know I gotta hide out up here till the heat's off. That was a plan. Sure, but the plan didn't include a murder. I don't want no part of it now. No? No. Well, you got a part of it, whether you like it or not. What do you mean? George, after a guy kills once, the next time it's easy. You get me? Yeah, I get you, Pete. But you well, got... just remember it. And I'm sticking up here till it's safe for me to leave. And I'll clear out of this part of the country so fast you'll have to look twice to see me. Police headquarters, Lieutenant Hayes. Lieutenant, this is Sergeant Garfield. We just finished going through the orchards out here. There's no sign of the killer. I see. Well, it's past midnight now. You can let the men go home now, Sergeant. Right, sir. Oh, uh, I'd like to have you come back here, though. Yeah? What's up, Lieutenant? Did you get a lead from the ballistic report? No, just that the bullets were fired from a thirty-two. But you and I have a job to do here in town tonight. What's that? 
Well, I figure the killer can't have got very far away. All the highways and roads out of here have been on strict patrol since a half hour after the killing, and the state police have been alerted. Yes, I know. Well, I think that if the killer was trying to get out of this vicinity, he'd have been picked up by now. You figure he's hiding out in town someplace, huh? I think so. I'll meet you on the corner of 5th Street and Arizona Avenue in one hour. 5th and Arizona, right? Right. You and I will cover all the dives in this town personally. Now, in their search for the killer, the two police officers look in at every bar, scan the customers in every pool room and shooting gallery. But by the time they reach the section of the city near the railroad station, the shutters on George's bar and grill are drawn, for the first gray streaks of morning light are appearing in the sky. Tired, disgruntled, and half-convinced that the killer has slipped out of the city and through the police net, they call it a night and return to headquarters. An hour later, out at the Elder Cornell farmhouse, Dawson steps up to the front door. Oh, good morning, Dawson. I, uh... I just come over from your place, Mr. Cornell. I thought I'd stop by and see how things are going for you here. Thanks, Dawson. That's kind of you. Have, uh... The police found the killer yet? I don't think so. I've heard nothing yet. Uh, that's too bad. I hope they get the guy. Yes. I'd like to get my hands on the man myself. Sure, I understand. Your mother up yet? Yes, she's in the kitchen. I don't think she got any sleep either. I'd, I'd like to speak to her if I could. Tell her I'm sorry for what happened. Sure, go ahead. And it's very thoughtful of you, Dawson. Very thoughtful. Thanks, Mr. Cornell. I am real sorry. What is it, Hanson? Lieutenant Hayes, there's a fellow out here who wants to talk to you. Says he's got some information about the Cornell murder. Send him in. Yes, sir. <laughs> That'll be the 14th guy who's been in this morning with what he thought was information, Lieutenant. Yeah, I know. It's always a way in a case like this. A lot of people, mostly crackpots, want to get their names in the paper. Yeah. Sometimes they really think they know something. But once in a great while, one of them does have some information. Oh, uh, come in, sir. Uh, you the officer who's handling the murder case? That's right. What's your name, please? Uh, Carl Weber. All right, Mr. Weber. I suppose you tell us what you know. Well, I, I heard over the radio and I read in the paper about that uh, old man who was murdered. Yes, yes. You, uh, you know anything about it? Well, I, I don't know whether this means anything or not, but... Uh, I was passing that very farmhouse about the time it happened. You were, huh? Uh, yes. I, I was on my way into Phoenix, and, uh, well, I thought I had a flat, so uh, I pulled up for a minute on the side of the road uh, near that farmhouse. Did you see anything or hear anything? Uh, uh, no, not in the house, but uh, there was a man parked right across the road where I stopped, and his engine was running. I figured he was waiting for somebody. Hey, maybe we're getting somewhere, Lieutenant. Yeah, uh, tell me, Mr. Weber, did the man you saw in the car answer the description of the killer? Uh... Well, no, he didn't. Did you recognize a man in the car? Uh, uh, no, sir, but I I'm not from around here. I I'm from out of the state. Well, do you remember what he looked like? Uh, well, uh, when I got out to see if my tire was going flat, I, I naturally glanced across at yes, him. Yes, yes, of course. Go on. Well, uh, he kind of opened his mouth as if he was going to say something, and uh, I noticed he had a big gold tooth right in front. A gold tooth? That is something. Oh, uh, yes. Not many folks have gold teeth in the front of their mouths anymore. Oh, you're right, Mr. Weber. Uh, anything else? Why, uh... No, that's all, I guess. Well, thank you for the information. Oh, that's okay, uh, Leave your name and address at the desk, will you please? Oh, sure, sure. I, I hope I've been of some help. Oh, you have, Mr. Weber. You, you certainly have. Well, that tip supports your theory, Lieutenant, about the killer having an accomplice. Yes, it does. 
I believe that the party with the gold tooth is somebody who knows the Cornell family. How do you figure that? Sergeant, the timing of this crime was no coincidence. It was planned to take place when the old couple would be alone. Sure. And no one but a friend or acquaintance of the family could have known exactly when the old folks were going to be alone. Correct. What's our next move, Lieutenant? Let's go out to the Cornells again. I'll drop you off at the son's farm, and you see what you can find out there. I'll go on down to the mother's place. Okay, Lieutenant. If we can find someone who knows a man with a gold tooth in the front of his mouth, we'll be set. You're asking me if I know anyone who has a gold tooth in the front of his mouth? Yes, Mrs. Cornell. Do you? No, Lieutenant. None of my friends has a gold tooth. At least, not where it shows. I see. Well, uh, perhaps an acquaintance, then. Oh, I, I don't recall anybody. Well, it's very important, Mrs. Cornell. Please try to remember. You see, we know that this man was waiting in a car outside your home here yesterday at the time of the tragedy. And you think I know that man? Well, I hope so. At least I'm certain that he knew about you. Hmm, the man with a gold tooth. Dear, dear, it, it does seem as if I have seen someone. Yes? I, I just can't think who... It wasn't one of my close friends, though. I know that right off. Well, uh, perhaps an acquaintance of your husband's. No. No. Uh, may I answer that for you, Mrs. Cornell? Oh, if you would, officer. All right. Uh, just say I'm resting, please. Right. Hello. Hello, uh, let me talk to... Oh, Lieutenant, I was calling you. Yes, Sergeant. Young Cornell's got a hired hand with a gold tooth in front. His name is Dawson. Hang on to him, Sergeant. I'll be right over. Oh, wait a minute, sir. I can't hang on to him. He isn't here. Where is he? Well, he must have seen me coming and got scared. Anyway, he's gone. We've searched all over for him. His quarters, the shed... Sergeant, put Mr. Cornell on the phone. Yes, sir. Mr. Cornell. Hello? Mr. Cornell, my sergeant says your man Dawson has gotten away. Look, Lieutenant, I'm, I'm sure you're after the wrong man. He has a gold tooth in the front of his mouth, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Well, do you know anyone else who has? Why, no. No, I don't. But Dawson couldn't have had anything to do with the killing. He was at the barbecue. I saw him. Now, Mr. Cornell, tell me this. Where do you think he is right now? Why, I, I don't know. He's usually... You haven't not... any idea where he might have skipped to? No, not the slightest. I see. What, uh, what agency did you hire Dawson from? None. He was recommended to me. By whom? Oh, um, a fellow who runs a bar near the railroad station. I stop in there occasionally for a glass of beer when I'm shipping out fruit. It's called George's Bar and Grill. Thank you, Mr. Cornell. Tell the sergeant I'll pick him up at once. We're going down to have a talk with George. Is the shortwave on, Sergeant? Yes, sir. All set to go. Here's the mic. No, thanks. Lieutenant Hayes to cars 39 and 14. Lieutenant Hayes to cars 39 and 14. Attention. Car 39 reporting. Car 14 reporting. Cars 14 and 39 proceed to George's Bar and Grill opposite the railroad station. Believe Cornell Killer and accomplice may be hiding out there. Caution, these men are probably armed. Hold action if possible until I get there. That's all. Just a few minutes before the police get orders to close in on the hunted man, a tense and hectic scene takes place in the hideaway above the saloon. Panting, out of breath from haste and fear, Dawson bursts into the room. George, where's the spot? What's the matter? Yeah, what's up, Dawson? I think the police are onto something. I saw an officer come into young Cornell's place, and then the two of them headed for my shack. What the devil? I lit out and hitched a ride into town on a fast truck. Hey, you boys better get out of here. Shut up, George. You know the cops are watching every road out of this town for me? Well, I'm getting out. Wait a minute, Dawson. 
You're not leaving me here to take the rap alone. Pete, put that gun back in your pocket and listen to me, both of you. Yeah, talk fast, George. Look, there's only one way you might be able to sneak through. It's on a fast freight. Yep. What time is it now? Almost 3 o'clock. Good. If a freight goes through here at 3.07. You telling the truth, George? Oh, help me. You fellas better try to get on it. It's your only chance. We'll make it. Come on, Pete. Let's travel. Right with you. Good luck, boys. How do we get out of here? Just swing through the back door. We can sneak between the buildings. Stop where you are, you two. What? Stop where we shoot. They got us, Pete. Not me. No cop has taken me. Good shooting, Sergeant. You got the blonde-haired guy in the shoulder. Hey, what's going on in my place? You'll find out. Sergeant, put the cuffs on all three of these. Now, wait, all right, right, come on. You hey, you got nothing on me. We're booking all three of you on suspicion of murder. What happens to you from here on is up to the courts of justice. Questioning of Pete Dawson and George, the saloon keeper, by the prosecuting attorney, brought to light the details of the crime as they've been reenacted tonight. The courts of justice found George not guilty of participation in the crime of murder, but justice found Pete and Harry Dawson guilty of murder in the first degree. Their sentence: death in the gas chamber for the wanton killing of Joseph Cornell. Now in police headquarters in Phoenix, Arizona. Sergeant. Yes, Lieutenant. Take the card on Joseph Cornell from the active file. Market case closed. Justice triumph. Although the names of all persons, characters, and places are entirely fictitious, and any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental, this dramatization was based on an actual murder case. Next week at this same time, the Mutual Broadcasting System will present Poison for Profit, story of a murder ring which treated human life as a commodity to be bought and sold. Another dramatization taken from the files of two justice stories appearing each week in the New York Sunday News and its syndicate. These programs are produced and directed by Jock McGregor, and the stories are dramatized by Barth Conry. The narrator is George Carson Putnam. Dawson was played by Carl Emery, Lieutenant Hayes by Ralph Camargo. Others in the cast were George Petrie as Pete, Elizabeth Morgan as Mrs. Cornell, Humphrey Davis as Mr. Cornell and George, Don Douglas as the youngest Cornell and Hanson, and Ed Latimer as the sergeant. The orchestra, under the direction of Emerson Buckley, played music especially written for this broadcast by Richard DuPage. Frank McCarthy speaking. As it was broadcast on the Mutual Broadcasting System, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday, June 30th, 1947, Dead Justice Triumph here on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. I have to tell you, that uh, there has not been a feeling of sadness overwhelm me yet over ending this show. I imagine, of course, part of the reason why I think that hasn't happened is that I have a ton of people who have written me emails uh, that I haven't read, and I specifically have not read them uh, because the uh, I, I I really don't want to go out of this feeling bad. I need to feel good about this. The reason I need to feel good about this is there's only one reason I'm doing this, is for my own health, for my own safety, and preserving everything. Uh, Quite frankly, classic radio theater has been a labor of love, and uh, uh, we haven't even paid our expenses in the last year and a half, thanks to our uh, the folks whom used to syndicate us, and uh, when we took over all the expenses, 
it was just a matter of uh, uh, we had to shell out more money than we ever brought in. I, and it was never about making money. It was about uh, preserving these shows and keeping them out there. And while there are some people that do it, there are some people, and I'm not going to get into specifics, who want to uh, keep these old radio shows and uh, several television shows locked up in vaults and don't want them out in the public. And, of course, that's something that collectors uh, such as Ted deal with, and they make that possible all the time. Collectors have saved this hobby for the people who can get on the Internet. I feel worse for the people in radio and people who are not Internet-connected who cannot keep up with this. Continue to follow us at ClassicRadio.Stream. Continue to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. All of those links are up at our webpage, ClassicRadio.Stream. Have yourself a great weekend. Straight ahead, Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox here on your favorite radio station for the last time. <laughs>